Welcome back to the Me Sweet Podcast. I'm Donna Peters. Let's get in there. If you follow the Me Suite, you know that one of the career personas that I often coach on is a persona I call Crossroads KT. And Crossroads KT is a career professional literally at a crossroads. They have a big decision to make. And what I've learned over the last several years is one of those key decisions is in common across so many of our listeners. And so I wanted to put a microphone, shine a mic specifically on this topic today It is the topic of entrepreneurship. Maybe you have an itch that you have been meaning to scratch for the last 10 or 15 years and haven't jumped to do it. Maybe you have been investing in a side hustle and you're thinking about scaling it. And all of those questions and concerns and stresses and risks that plague our brain, I want to talk about today with a very special guest. His name is Samir Patel. Samir is former military. He is a serial entrepreneur. He lives it, he knows it, he teaches on it, and I always find it extremely provocative, and I take away a lot of aha moments when I have a chance to sit down with him. And that's what we're going to do today. I want to welcome Samir Patel to the Me Suite. Very happy to be here. Thank you so much, Donna. So I, I think you have a lot of passion around this topic, right? I do, yeah. I teach entrepreneurship, real estate entrepreneurship at Georgia State to master yeah. students and undergrad. Yeah, it's amazing. Also mentioned, you also have an MBA yourself, and I even failed to mention that one. So I think this all informs your perspectives, right, of what does it mean to be an entrepreneur? So you understand that we're jumping into this entrepreneurship question at maybe a different stage. And it's the stage of, I maybe already have a role, a job that I'm maybe particularly comfortable with, but there is something nagging me in the back of my mind. Should I make a change and launch or scale that business idea? Samir, how do you approach someone who has that itch to scratch? I'll take one step back and I'll say that entrepreneurship and business, running your own business is actually a natural or should be a natural extension of who you are. Okay. So if you're a person that likes solving problems and you're very proactive in life, in all aspects of your life, but you're very someone very driven or self-driven to to go solve problems and provide value to other people. And you're really good at understanding, you know, what problems are and how what the dynamics are about them. And you can actually devise a solution around it. And you find yourself as a good person that can do that. Then I think you'll have a much easier time jumping into entrepreneurship. And, you know, at the risk of sounding too provocative or brazen, I think that if you wanted to be an entrepreneur, you would have done it already. Uh, oh. if, at some point in your life, like if you're older, I mean, if you're 20s, I know you're still figuring things out. But if you're in your late 30s and 40s, I think if you're a natural problem solver and you naturally like coming up with solutions and delivering those solutions, I think your career arc would have already demonstrated that in some some form or fashion. Okay. Could it have demonstrated that even in a normal corporate job? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're okay. very, you know, entrepreneurship is just as important as entrepreneurship. And in some cases, you know, we have very important businesses and corporations in America and they they need people with innovative thinking. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like an executive does run their own business. I mean, they and in fact they just are better resourced and they have some people looking over their shoulder. But at the end of the day, an executive running a business unit or a business line is somewhat of an entrepreneur because they've got to figure out how to deliver value with yeah. with constrained resources and they've got competition bearing down their necks. Yeah. I love the way you said that because I think it helps us, especially if we've only been working for others in our career. It would give me a boost of confidence to think, oh, those experiences, 
those stressful decisions, those important accountabilities I've had in corporate will serve me very well if I'm taking on the risk of running my own venture. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's a habit. So if you've been in the habit of taking charge of something, whether it's in a W-2 job or in a church or or even a community organization, um, or as a student for that matter, if you have a habit of just taking charge and leading people and figuring out problems, I think you have the basis for, in my opinion, at least for for the next step, which is to potentially go you know, pursue entrepreneurship, whether it's a side hustle or just quit your job or quit your life entirely and, and go in a different direction. Yeah. Can you share a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey? I think it's very interesting and varied. Yeah, sure. Um, so I grew up here in Atlanta, actually, elementary through high school, went to West Point. Mm-hmm. I bought my first hotel when I was a junior at the academy. And partially because I think I was getting bored, which is really weird to say at West Point, because you know, your 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 day is packed with 18 hours of stuff, whether it's academics, physical stuff, or or leading fellow cadets. Mm-hmm. But I just knew that I liked the concept of business and I liked the idea of building assets, at least financially. Okay. And so USAA gives every student, every cadet a loan at 1%, which you don't pay back for you know, 18 months until you commission as an officer. So I figured, what the hell? Let's just take the risk because I'm going to go to Iraq and I'm going to go to Afghanistan. If I lose this money, I'll, I'll make it back. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm more of a heads I win, tails I don't lose too much type of person, which means... <laughs> okay. Which is like the second aspect of entrepreneurship is, are you good at understanding risk? Mm-hmm. So anyway, West Point, bought a hotel. Then I started doing more side hustles when I was in the army as well. Like I bought a debt collection company and we were collecting debt on uh, on HOA delinquent debt. And then I started flipping houses while I was a lieutenant. And then we bought some gas stations. And then we started, you know, upscaling into other types of businesses. But then, you know, I also started a, a, lend- a private lending business with my father. Uh, back in 2008, 9, 10, 11, when banks were not lending due to the financial crisis. Okay. So that provided an enormous opportunity for us to, to, to do a lot of good, to help a lot of people because the banks were not lending. And then, but, you know, economy needs liquidity yeah. to grow. Um, and so I've just been scaling ever since there. And, you know, a lot of mistakes, a lot of failures along the way. I've had to understand a lot about myself and how I lead and, how I do business. And I think that's actually the third challenge of an entrepreneur or a budding entrepreneur is you really need to know how you operate. And if you haven't put yourself through the paces, if you haven't put yourself through like these exercises of starting a business or taking charge of a church group or something, you know, when you actually try to introduce real money or a real business into the equation, if you haven't prepared yourself, when you haven't gone through the hurdles, it's going to be a lot harder when you do try to become a quote unquote real entrepreneur. So when you said we earlier, we went into this business, we did that business. Were these business partners? Yeah. So, you know, an interesting thing about me, because I was in the military, my day was always cut in half. Okay. You know, if I have 16 hours a day to work, eight of it, 12 of it was probably eaten up by the military. Mm -hmm. And then I only have, you know, so much time left. It is like working two jobs. If you're trying to straddle the corporate career and grow a side hustle or grow a business on the side. Mm-hmm. And you need help. First and foremost, you need help. And I learned very early on that I can't do do it all. And me being a, a solopreneur, so to speak, is not the right way for me. Okay. So that's actually influenced my leadership habits too, because now I've become a more collaborative type of leader. 
I'm more of an options type leader versus the leader that just said, hey, we're going to do it this way and my way or the highway and, mm. you know, so be it. And there are some entrepreneurs that succeed in that manner, but I'm not that type of leader. And I, but yeah. it took me a long time, a few years at least, to, to understand my own leadership style. Yeah. So back when you said you have to know how you operate, I guess that was part of it. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I tell people like if you're if you're thinking about entrepreneurship, then you should take stock at what you've what you've been in charge of. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't been in charge of anything, then I recommend you at least volunteer at a community group or volunteer for something. So you at least start getting a taste of what it's like to be in charge. Yeah. Because you know, as you know, Donna, like there's no there's no right answer or approved answer on the internet or anywhere. Yeah, that tells you you need to do these three steps, and then you'll be successful. Like it doesn't exist. You need to learn how to to deal with the uncertainty and the fog of and the fog of war, so to speak. Yeah, is there some degree of how I measure my own personal resilience and my own tolerance for risk? Some kind of a rubric to help somebody at a crossroads decide if they've got the risk tolerance for it. They might have. They might have experience being in charge, but that doesn't mean they have the risk tolerance necessarily. You know, that's a really good question. I wish there was some sort of litmus test for it. And I, uh-huh. the only thing I can point to is like, I go, I go back to that business and risk taking is a natural extension of who you are. Okay. So if you are a risk taker by your, by who you are, your personality and your makeup and all that, then you would have already done it by now, I think. Okay. And that applies if you're in your late thirties and forties. I think if you're younger, you're still figuring out and you get a little bit of grace. But I, I, I really like when I invest or make angel investments, I really look at the person's story going back to college pretty much. Okay. And if they're in their late 40s and they're trying this entrepreneurship game for the first time, I don't want to be the investor that pays their tuition for them to understand more about themselves. I really like to invest in people that have been through this circle at least two or three times. They may not have succeeded. That's, yeah. that's separation. That's, I mean, that's the difference. Success is sometimes not in your control, but the act is definitely in your control, regardless of your personal circumstances. That is within your control. And you have, if you haven't done that, I think you're not likely to be successful if you start doing it later in life. So I, I hate to say this, but the sooner you start, the better. Okay. This is extremely insightful. I want to go back. When you mentioned when you sometimes angel invest, you're looking for that pattern, but you would accept the pattern of acting like an entrepreneur even if that experience was inside a corporate company as an employee, correct? hundred percent. I mean, okay. I read, I read an article the other day that like some of the best entrepreneurs are actually product managers. Oh, and product managers inside their own company. Got it. Right. Oh, and so a lot of ex Apple, ex Google folks mm-hmm. that were product managers there, just as an example, those are the ones that actually at least get funded Yeah, from investors like myself that are looking for a habit of excellence and looking for the yeah. skills that you need to run a company. Like product management is probably a great place to start if you're thinking about, you know, you still want to be in the corporate world, but then you want to move on to entrepreneurship, you know, five, six years down the line. Yeah, that's great advice. I also, in in my experience with product management, it's also such a great role because it's a bird's eye view often of all the moving parts and the cross-functional things that must come together for success. I could definitely see why that's true. So let's anchor on the word that you talked about, success, and you maybe yeah. haven't always succeeded. Uh, would you say you have not always succeeded? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, a- absolutely. It's it's part of it. It's, uh-huh. 
it's part of the journey. It's supposed to, you're not supposed to, I think, be successful all the time. Because here's the here's the dirty little secret about entrepreneurship that you're really just running a series of experiments. Okay. You're not Walmart. You're not like an established public company for the most part. You're still experimenting a lot with what works and what doesn't work. Okay. So it's almost essential that you don't succeed and find out what doesn't work because that's part of the journey of finding or developing a solution or a product or service that actually does meet people's needs that they're willing to pay for. Mm-hmm. I imagine not everyone is wired to take failure in such a positive way as you have. I mean, it sucks. Don't get me wrong. Like losing <laughs> a lot of money is not great. But at the same time, in my DNA mm-hmm. and through the you know mentorship of my father and some really cool people around me, they made it okay to fail. And they okay. made it okay to, to get back up and, and grow. A lot of high performers, especially in the corporate world, and I noticed this among my MBA cohort as well, and you probably did too, because you're teaching the same people. You taught me that a lot of high performance people do well in school. They get good grades. They go to a, a good university and, and they go find the jobs. But they're so afraid of failing uh, that they've never really taken the chance to fail, actually. Okay. They've never really gone out on a limb. Yeah. And it, it works great. You will succeed very well with that sort of mentality between the ages of 22 and 35. Okay. But like we're talking about right now, at some point in your mid-30s or mid-40s, you're going to feel this itch and you're going to realize that your life could be going in a different direction or you want your life to go in a different direction. And the problem is, is that you haven't run the obstacle course yet. Yeah. And you may feel the itch and that's great, but your motivation is irrelevant compared to your skills and your experiences. So you mentioned earlier the importance of the relationship with your father here. You mentioned you're at West Point and haven't even entered 20 and you're buying hotels. Who are you? What What is at the core of who you are and your values that have you think have really driven these important decisions that you've made? Could you kind of sum them up in some way? So I think the reason why I got into entrepreneurship actually was because I wanted to stay in the army, actually. And I oh. wanted to stay in government because I believe in service and helping oh. others and things like that. Okay. But I wanted assets so that I could have as much independence as possible. So, and I, and I saw this, right? Like at West Point, you're just lucky enough to be around general officers, you know, lucky to be around senior leaders. And, uh-huh. and even a lot of CEOs come and visit West Point and speak. And I'm looking at them and I'm realizing that like they end up having to do things that they don't necessarily agree with or uh-huh. they, they have to do it because that is what their job calls them to do. And I just always felt like I want maximum independence as I progress through the army. And at the same time, I also, this may sound a little weird, but I also wanted to learn how these people make things, big things happen. Okay. That's actually what motivated me to get into this stuff. Like, yeah, making money is a byproduct and I definitely want to make money. Who doesn't? But when I was at least that age, I remember saying to myself, like, I don't know how these big things happen. I want to learn. And I just, I guess I'm lucky in the sense that I know that I learned by doing more than, okay. more than reading or watching other people do it. Yeah. I think I heard three core value themes, one around service, one around independence, and one around learning and curiosity. Is that fair? Yeah. And I think those are the, like, I think you, you need to be able or want to be able to serve people and solve okay. their problems. I mm. think that's a cornerstone of entrepreneurship. Well, many people don't. I talk about it that way, but I feel like you need to have an intense interest in 
what people want, what they need, and what they're willing to pay for. Yeah. And you can't overlook that when you're developing a product. Like so many times, you know, besides running out of cash, the second biggest reason why businesses go out of business is that they build a product or a solution or service that nobody wants. Yeah. Do you continue to be a crossroads KT as a serial entrepreneur? In that sense, I think we're all crossroads KTs. Okay. Like if if you're a curious person, you're naturally going to be inquisitive about what works and what doesn't work and mm-hmm. where the impact is and where the where an impact can't be made or not as much impact can be made. In that vein, if you're a person looking to create value at every turn, yeah. then yeah, you're always at a turn or a crossroads of sorts. Yeah. I think the bigger question I think that, that we're trying to talk about are the people that want to make a wholesale change. Yeah. And I'm not a fan, I'm not a fan of big bold moves, so to speak, until like you've started getting a little bit of taste of it. Okay. Because I don't want people to feel this is just my personal opinion and the way I look at the world. I think it's more important for incremental changes to occur and incremental small experiences to occur. Yeah. Because if you're an older person with obligations, for example, and you've got a mortgage, you've got kids or a spouse or you're taking care of parents or, you know, all the things that life throws at us. Yeah. Making big, bold moves could be an unnecessary risk. Okay. So if you quit your job one day and decide, I'm going to go start a business and you haven't learned anything about running a business, then that's probably not a good idea because you're more than likely going to fail. Yeah. And then you've put your family down a different path. And in finance, at least, and in the world, I think it's sometimes more important not to lose than to win. And you know, entrepreneurs have different opinions about that. I think tangibly speaking, I think you want to start a side hustle. And there's okay. many podcasts and programs about side hustles. But start with a side hustle and start learning about yourself and learning about how you do business. So you know, uh, when we close out, podcast episodes on the Me Suite, I always ask for the the sweetener of what could we start doing differently on Monday. It sounds like your advice for a Crossroads KT, if they haven't already been venturing in entrepreneurship land, would be go nurture the side hustle? Yeah, start a side hustle or take charge of something or volunteer to be the Uh leader of something. And that costs no money. Yeah. Is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you would want to plant as a seed of advice for somebody at a crossroads thinking that they have a business itch to scratch? I would say there's a saying that you should grow where you're planted. Okay. Not necessarily like, you know, if you're an employee, you should always be an employee, but you should grow where you're planted in terms of your industry because you know that industry really well. Mm. I had lunch with uh, with a very smart individual a couple of days ago, actually. And they've been in the insurance industry for 10 years. Uh-huh. And they wanted to like go take a leadership position at the private equity level in terms of being an operating partner one day to be backed by private equity. And that's also a form of entrepreneurship too. Sure. Except your investor is just a private equity firm, not angel investors or not a hedge fund or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he's telling me about like auto body shops and like automotive and some other industries. And I was like, that's not, and he has a passion for that stuff. But in in the back of my mind, I'm thinking like, that is not where you grew up. Like you don't know anybody really in that industry, for example. And as an entrepreneur, you kind of want to be a one phone call type of person. Meaning like, if I've got a problem and I'm in lending and real estate, if I've got a problem, 
I, I know I can pick up the phone and call one person and largely 99% remove my problem off my desk. Mm-hmm. You know, the problem's always going to exist, but are you a one phone call type of person in your industry where you know who to call exactly to solve problems? Yeah. And if you can be that person in your own industry, I think you're going to do really well as an entrepreneur or it'll help you as an entrepreneur. Yeah. But I think entrepreneurship is about probabilities and you got to increase your odds of success. And you increase your odds of success by building something that somebody actually wants and wants to pay for. Yeah. You have a habit of service. You know your leadership style and you know how you get things done. And then you're in an industry where you actually know people and you know the history and the dynamics of this industry because you've been around it for so long that you know where the value and where the market failures are so you can go ahead and potentially exploit them. Let's pretend for a moment that you're not an entrepreneur. And let's pretend for a moment that you're not in the military. What would you be doing? Oh, wow. What a interesting question. Um, <laughs> or is this so far into you, you can't even get there? No, it's, <laughs> I, I appreciate the question a lot because I, you know, I could end up there one day. Like if I some, yeah. make bad decisions or the Federal Reserve decides to take some, some drastic actions, like they may put people like me out of business for sure. Yeah. Um, it would probably like sales. I think Okay. the other aspect we didn't really touch on, but I'll briefly touch on it right now, mm-hmm. is that a lot of good entrepreneurs need to be really good at sales. Okay. And if you're not good at sales, then you partner with somebody that is good at sales. Great. Absent of the two things that you said, I'd probably be in sales as like a sales manager or somebody running a revenue management system of sorts. Okay. Is there a family dynamic component here? that people wanting to be an entrepreneur need to consider? Because I imagine if you're so deeply a serial entrepreneur as you are, isn't your entire family impacted by this decision? 100%. 100%. And you have to have, if you're in your late 30s and 40s, which typically means you have a family of sorts, or at least obligations to somebody inside a family dynamic, you need to have a hard conversation with them about expectations and what that really means. Mm-hmm. And, you know, thank God my my spouse, my wife understands that she grew up in an entrepreneurial family. She knows uh, what it's like to work till 10, 11 p.m., 1 a.m. Mm. She can respect that. And she supports me in many ways that I think a spouse yeah. that doesn't, that isn't aware of those dynamics would have a problem with. So I think it's about expectations. Yeah. And as an entrepreneur, you have to take the proactive step of making sure expectations align. Yeah. Like maybe a one-way conversation or maybe one-way expectation, but at least you have at least given the respect to your family member that, hey, this is who I am or what I wanted to accomplish. Yeah. And this is what I think it's going to take to accomplish that. Are you able to support me on this or not? Yeah. And then you have to decide, you know, and it's a very tough thing to decide who are you going to prioritize? Yeah. Your ambitions or or meeting the obligation and expectations of your family member or loved one. So I think you've actually given us maybe two things to do differently on Monday. One of them might be to go back and make sure that you've had that conversation uh, with with the people that are uh, dependent upon you or that you impact with your decision. Yeah, and I'll I'll, I'll say this one last thing, that your family, if they love you, may actually rise to the occasion. Ah. Because people like, I think as humans, we like being around big missions or we like mm. being around exciting things, maybe fraught with a little risk. And I think pe- it may be the thing your family needs actually to, to reinvigorate some of the, the relationships because we mm. all like to be part of big things. 
Yeah. And a family member may want to be a part of it. They may want to be in a supporting role. They kind of have to be. But don't underestimate what people are are willing to be a part of. Yeah. It's funny. I I, uh, I have 108 investors right now in my fund. And uh, we sent them a gift. Uh, we mm-hmm. sent them these Yeti, Yeti mugs personalized with their name on it. Stainless nice. steel Yeti mugs. Really nice. But I hate, I know this about myself, I cannot handle drudge work. Like printing out the labels, verifying addresses, <laughs> putting it in a box, and like writing the card and all that. I, I can't. It's just not me. I've been through enough experience to know what I'm good at, what I'm not good at. Yeah. But my wife, bless her heart, she's a doctor working, you know, 12, 14 hours a day sometimes. At night, she'd come home and she'd take these 108 Yeti mugs and expertly organize it for me. Wow. And she's part of the team. Yeah. She knows the names of my investors more than I know the name of my investors, actually. She knows who's related to who because she notices that that person and that person share the same address, which I probably um, overlooked. Yeah. And so she's now part of the team. And now I think, you know, and I'm very grateful that she has that. She rose to the occasion. She became part of the journey because I think partially she knows what we're trying to accomplish as a family. Wow. That's beautiful. We need to interview her. Yeah, you she probably should. Yeah. yeah, you probably <laughs> should. So I have, a, I have a fund. It's called Trophy Point. And we actually, as a real estate lending fund, we back military-affiliated military officers and military personnel, actually, on their real estate ventures, Yeah, uh, meaning they're buying and fixing a home or they're turning it into a rental. Yeah. And so we're a private lender that directly funds them. And so if anyone's interested in earning like a stable, high-yield return on their money, Trophy Point could be a great option for them. We've lent out $50 million in the last 18 months and across 260 loans. And we haven't had a single default or mispayment yet from any of our borrowers, wow. which, which I think speaks to the connection that we have with our borrowers as military folks. But then it also speaks to the to our borrowers whose ability to get it done with little excuses and solve problems quickly. I think they uh, it's a testament to that as well. That is absolutely amazing. Congratulations, and again, back to your core value of helping others. I will have information on Trophy Point in the show notes. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you for being in our orbit today. I really appreciate you spending time with us. It's been a treat. Yeah, and thank you for what you do. I think uh, you're shining a light on many subjects that, that are very relevant to a lot of people, but don't get talked about enough. Until the next topic, this is Donna Peters. Thank you for joining me in the Me Suite. 